Revelation chapter 11 is amazing. There are two witnesses that God highlights. We get to see them. We, we look in on this time today. It is very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible. The book of Revelation is an amazing book. And as we look at it, we're going to focus on what these two witnesses are all about. It's going to be very interesting. Corey? Today, I'm going to be focusing in on Revelation 9 and those locusts that are mentioned. Ryan? Well, most of us are aware that the book of Revelation is a book full of sevens, but today I want to highlight the more subtle sevens of Revelation. All right. Very good. And uh, it is good, Janice. We're studying Revelation. Yes. Today, my segment is called Bittersweet. All right. Well, a lot of people might think that of Revelation, but remember that we are blessed if we read the words of this prophecy. So let's read it. Open up your Bible guides and let's go. Revelation 11, 1 through 12. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy one thousand 260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days, and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. Revelation 11, Revelation 12, and Revelation 13 is what we study today. You know, 
this is absolutely amazing as we think about this. You see, John was given a measuring reed like a rod, and he was commanded by the angel to measure the temple, the temple that he's seen. The altar, the people who worship there. Well, this takes place before the seventh angel sounds the seventh trumpet. To unnamed witnesses, two of them, come to prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth, which is representative of mourning. Now, these two men are given power to speak and prophesy the words of God in this time. Only when their appointed time of ministry is complete will Satan be able to kill them. And he does, but only for a time. You see, after three and a half days, they suddenly and miraculously come back to life. And they are called to heaven and ascend while their enemies watch. And these two seem to be the two olive trees mentioned in Zechariah. And we do not know who these men are only that they are referred to as two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. It's interesting to note that olive trees are also used to represent Israel and lampstands are used to represent the church. Revelation 1 verse 20. I find that fascinating. And there's a lot of things that we can connect here as we read these passages with what we've read before in the Bible. Now, if you want to take your passage and turn to chapter 11, this is a great place we're going to start. Take your Bible guide. And if you're not on the list, you don't have the January Bible guide. You need to get on the list so you can get the Bible guide. Um, and, and when you do that, it's important. I want to say thank you for your donations online. If you joined us on Bible Discovery TV, thank you for giving online. We really appreciate that. I just need to say, as we pray, that we need to listen because most people don't listen to Revelation. They think, oh, it's just for the big higher ups. To, but, but God said everybody who reads this will be blessed. So, Father, help us today. We're, we're trying to read this and we're trying to understand it. We, it's difficult for us, but Lord, your Holy Spirit can help us. And so, Father, we pray and ask your Holy Spirit to help us read and listen in our spirits to what you're doing and saying in Revelation. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. All right. Now, as we look at this, listen carefully. Revelation 11, the first six verses, here is how it begins. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court, this is important, but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, listen carefully, for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Very interesting. And I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Verse four, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth to devour their enemies. And if, 
Anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heavens so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Two witnesses with extraordinary powers given by God prophesy for three and a half years. Now, God gives humanity many chances to repent and to come to him. I need you to see this. It's so simple. God is consistently, even in the time of tribulation, giving his gospel message, even though many have received the mark, many have received the number of his name and all of that, and on the forehead and on the hand and all of that, but God is still giving his message of salvation. Isn't that interesting? The Lord desires that people come to know him. All right, let's go on. Revelation 11, chapter 7, or chapter 11, verse 7 says, When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make a war against them and overcome them, and he will kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. They will make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Interesting. The two witnesses will be killed by Satan and laid dead for three and a half days. Now, I want to tell you that with God, timing is everything. I want you to understand this. First of all, his Bible says that. Second of all, timing is all critically important. We need to praise God because he has our timing intact. If you're a Christian, I'll tell you what that means in a minute. Revelation 11, verse 11. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. and They stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. Which brings me to this point. The two witnesses come to life again by the breath of God for all of their enemies to see. We pray, knowing and trusting that God will show his strength to everyone. Beloved, listen to me. God is showing his strength. And let me tell you, God will show his strength in your life. If you come to the Lord, if you, I, I cannot stress this enough. Don't look at me, look at somebody else, but just focus on God. Think about the one who created you, created your home, created all the things around you. You need to believe in him because he did that. And he's talking to you right now. And I will tell you, he will speak to you, but I will tell you how to find him. You simply say, Lord, you pray. That means talk to God. And you say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I'm a sinner. Save me. 
I believe you paid the cost of sin. You died on the cross. Three days later, you rose from the dead in the flesh. And today you're sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Send your Holy Spirit to fill my heart because I want to serve you. Help me, Lord, to serve you today. In the name of Jesus Christ and everybody who believes that said together, amen and amen. Make it so, may it be so. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. All right, well, during our journey through Revelation this year, I've been really focused on some of the different occurrences of the number seven. And Revelation is a book chocked full of sevens. I mean, even a casual reader can make a decent sized list of the different occurrences. But what I'm interested in today are the more subtle sevens of Revelation, the sevens that aren't so obvious. Take a look. That Revelation is a book of sevens is exceedingly obvious, even for the casual reader. Some of the more perspicuous occurrences include the seven lampstands, seven spirits, seven stars, seven churches, seven lamps, the seven-sealed scroll, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath, seven promises to the overcomer, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven thunders, seven thousand, seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven mountains, seven kings, and so on. There are, however, numerous other occurrences of seven that aren't so apparent. For example, while it is obvious that there are seven letters to seven churches, what may not be immediately perceivable is that each letter itself is composed of seven elements. One, the name of the church. Two, the chosen title of Christ. Three, a commendation. Four, Christ's concerns. Five, an exhortation. Six, a promise to the overcomer and seven, the close. Revelation also has seven personages, including the woman, male child, red dragon, seven-headed beast, false prophet, Michael, and the lamb. There are seven years of judgments, seven I am statements of Christ, seven doxologies in heaven, seven new things, and even seven beatitudes. The first is, blessed is he who reads and those who hear and keep those things. Number two, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Three, blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. Four, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Five, blessed and holy is he who is part in the first resurrection. Six, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And number seven, blessed are those who do his commandments. Although there are disagreements surrounding how Revelation ought to be interpreted, there's no debating its heptatic or sevenfold structure and we've only just scratched the surface. In fact, as the late Dr. Chuck Misler quipped, I suspect that it's probably not possible to make an exhaustive list of the sevens. Whatever number you come up with, there's probably seven times that many. Uh -huh.
So this presentation was only just a small sampling of the more subtle sevens found in Revelation, but hopefully this will spur some of you on to search for more examples as well. You know, God loves it when we spend time with him and his word. Actually, that's something that uh, Ivan Panin would uh, love to say if he were alive today. He was an uh, atheist, became Christian from Russia. Uh, he ended up in New York and then he came to Canada and he highlighted the sevens and the patterns mm -hmm. of sevens in the scripture. That's right. He's and not, he's buried not far from here. Actually. In fact, just down the road in Hamilton, which is a great city. And it's interesting because I have his work and his work was in the newspapers, uh, the uh, New York Times and all of the rest of it. But it wasn't really popular because it wasn't a high reading. You know, a lot of people are in the big reading, but his was so technical and so real that uh, it wasn't that, you know, popular at the day, but it, mm -hmm. boy, I'll tell you, it, he is outstanding. And so thank you very much and for that. And wasn't it his research that brought him to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, he, he, it was. And because he had to, he left the Bolshevik revolution in 1917 and he came and he tried to get a job and he needed to learn something. So he said, well, I'm going to learn Hebrew and Greek because I can teach it. So he learned it by studying the Bible and by doing so, he was an atheist, but by doing so uh, at the end of it, he was a Christian because he, he checked all of the other, he checked the Quran, he checked all these other, only the Bible had patterns of seven. Very, mm -hmm. very interesting. All right, Corey, go for it. All right, so in Revelation chapter 9, we read about a type of locust plague, right? Now, this is from our reading from yesterday, but I, I wanted to bring it up back again today. So, a locust plague, but it's kind of, it's not a locust plague at the same time, isn't it, in Revelation 9? The locusts here in Revelation 9 are serving as an image of something terrible, uh, something locust-like. So the question should become, what did locusts evoke in the original ancient audience? What does the imagery of locusts point to? Now, mainly, we can say a devastating and unstoppable evil, even a judgment of God. Now, one of the most informative places to look to in the Bible in order to understand locusts and how they were viewed is the book of Joel from the Old Testament. So the first two chapters of Joel discuss a coming terrible locust plague and what the people's reaction to the news of a locust plague coming should be. Now, the plague in Joel was both a physical reality and it was a symbol of God's judgment as well. Now, let's not forget, though, that the Apostle Peter also quoted from Joel chapter 2 to claim that the kingdom of God had come to earth. Joel 2 verse 28 starts, and afterward, and the question is, after what? Well, after God saves his people from the plague of devouring locusts, this army that has invaded them and devastated them, and then God reestablishes their food supply. Okay, so Joel 2, verse 28 to 29. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So there was a future application to Joel and his prophecies as well as a past application. But my main point here is that the locust plague was endowed with so much meaning and could be used as a powerful symbol because it was so physically impactful to an area that it happened to. It was dreaded, 
locusts killed. Joel describes these insects in a brutal way. He calls them an invading army who have the teeth of a lion and the fangs of a lioness, a fire that devours all before it, war and war horses and warriors that no one can stop and who take everything. Now, Joel describes that they even darken the sun and the moon. And to make make no mistake, God was in charge of the locusts. Joel 2.11 says, The Lord thunders at the head of his army, the locusts. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Now, the original audience of Joel would have understood locusts obviously a lot better than we can today. Locust swarms do still happen in parts of Africa and Asia, but not so much here in the West, where not only are we out of their natural range, but we also have access to different insecticides and defensive methods. But ancient Israel was within the normal flying range of what we today call the desert locust, which has a scientific name that Again, I'm not going to attempt, but unfortunately for Israel, a locust plague wasn't unheard of. Now, according to Harold Brodsky in an article published in Biblical Archaeology Review, a locust swarm could consist of up to a billion insects and could weigh up to three million pounds. So when when flying, the swarm could be miles long, which goes a long way in explaining why Joel talks about the sun and moon being darkened and why people who have witnessed locust invasion refer to them as clouds of locusts that darken the sky. So Joel also mentions a progression of different kinds of locusts that English translations render a bit differently. Great, young, other, and swarming, or swarming, crawling, consuming, chewing. There's a few different variations in the English. These are likely referring to the actual life cycles of the locusts. So one of the things that attracts the swarm is moist soil for their eggs and vegetation to eat. So they land and eat and lay eggs. Two weeks later, their eggs hatch and little crawlers or hoppers emerge who will molt several times as they eat tender plant growth and grow into their next phase of life, which is marching locusts. When locust swarms march, they do it slowly to facilitate their eating. Brodsky says they march around 250 feet an hour, but the horde is massive. A large one can be 10 miles wide and 10 miles long. And behind them, nothing's left. Nothing edible is left. Think about Joel's words in 2 verse 3. Before them, a fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. The last phase in the locust life is the swarm. Locusts can leave as suddenly as they came, depending on wind patterns, and as the scriptures say, depending on the judgment of God. When a locust swarm eats your food supply, practically the only thing to do is to eat the locusts, which Leviticus 11 did permit for Israel. But the locusts put a stop to the joyful celebrations of harvest, of wine, of oil. It stopped the grain and drink offerings of the temple, the fellowship offerings of the towns of Israel, and may even have caused the lights to go out in the temple as olive oil became scarce. So it's no wonder that it was seen as a direct judgment of God. He was making physical reality match spiritual reality. And as the prophets say, God had stopped accepting the offerings of his people because they had been engaged in apostasy. 
So then in Revelation, a lot of commentators don't think we're dealing with actual locusts. When you read chapter nine, there's different qualities that go along with this. With this. However, what Revelation nine is dealing with is something terrible, even more terrible than locusts, which would have been really hard to believe in the mind of an ancient person. Truly something that is uh, that devastating, taking the food and taking everything would be totally incredible. Yeah, and these locusts don't, don't consume green food. They go after evil mankind in Revelation wow. 9. So wow. it's an interesting picture. Thank you, Corey. Janice? Yes, well, uh, uh, today Rod was studying Revelation 11, but I want to go back a little bit to Revelation chapter 10, and I called this bittersweet. There's a very interesting passage here where there's a mighty angel and a little book. And um, John eats that little book and it becomes bittersweet. While eating, it was as sweet as honey. Then the digesting of it was bitter. And the last verse says, and he said to me, you must prophesy again about many people's nations, tongues, and kings. Now the implication here, and there's no time to read it, but if you go back, if you haven't read Revelation 10, do so. Verses 8 through 11 to see what I'm talking about. The implication here is the ministry of the word of God is bittersweet. Because while the intake or the reading of it and the digesting of it ourselves Ourselves, and the and the preaching of it or the sharing of the gospel is sweet to us, there is that part that becomes disheartening to us when in some people there is a rejection in the hearers of the word. And you know what I'm talking about. But as followers and believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are commissioned to share our testimonies with those. And you know what? It's the Spirit of God who will draw people unto himself. But it is our responsibility. And of course, when we have found the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and we follow him, that is something that we want to share with people. So, even though there is a chance sometimes that we're going to be thought of as that, well, that crazy person who thinks about God all the time, or they don't even make sense, or they aren't living in the real world, we need to share the reality and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I know that you would agree with me right now, people need the Lord. We need a hope and a salvation, and we know his name. His name is Jesus Christ. So even though it may be bittersweet, Go out there and share your testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ today. BibleDiscoveryTV.com. BibleDiscoveryTV.com. That's our website. You can watch our programs. Some of you are watching our programs on that uh, website right now, but it's good to see you there. And uh, I just want to say that if you go there, there's writing and there's all kinds of things on there for you. And uh, we're very, very happy with that website. 
Praise God. Let's pray today. Lord, thank you for your gift of eternal life. One day I will graduate to eternity. Thank you, Lord, and help us today. Amen.